Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now. Thank you so much called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really you're here to learn more about the authors and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Julia Mae Jonas is the author of Vladimir, a novel. She is a writer, director, and the founder of theater company Nellie Tinder. She teaches theater at Skidmore College and lives in Brooklyn with her family. Vladimir is her first novel. Welcome, Julia. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Vladimir, a novel. Thank you so much for having me. Such a racy cover, by the way. I'm almost embarrassed to have it face up (laughs) in some rooms (laughs) in my house, although also very excited about it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Certain people feel like it's, it's like fun to be reading it on the subway, and I know certain people will slip the jacket cover off. So <laughs> were you involved in the cover, by the way? Just I mean, I, I approved of the cover. I think it's a great cover. It is. I it's love amazing. that it especially for the book, you know, it really flips yes. this idea of the gaze. Yes. And I think it's kind of just the right amount of funny yep. for the book. 
But yeah. I was shown one cover and then a- approved it basically. Perfect. So, so I didn't make it, but publisher's I, dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's back up for a second. Can you please tell listeners what your novel is about? So my novel is about a beloved college professor whose husband, when the novel opens, is being investigated for past what they view as consensual relationships with former students. And then into her life comes Vladimir Vladinsky. He's the new hire at the English department. And she falls head over heels in lust, a combination of lust, admiration, envy, all of those things for him. And that kind of leads her to some disastrous consequences. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, I love that you have as a protagonist, a 58-year-old novelist and writer who has all these feelings of passion and longing and that it is not over at that age. I feel like so many depictions of older women are not like this, let's just say. And it's just so invigorating to see a woman who's full of life and desire and all of that. So tell me tell me about that and how you chose to set her age in that bracket and everything. Yeah. I mean, I think there was kind of the spark that happened when I was at this party with a friend and I had been thinking about this idea of desire and I have two children and I'm married and and there's some way in which you feel at a certain point, like your your lanes are getting smaller, you know, that, that there's bigger bumpers on either side in terms of what you're going to experience, but also what you're allowed to, to want and to desire. And so I, I asked my friend at this party, do you think, do you have this core belief that you're supposed to want less as a woman as you age? And she said, almost immediately, yes, I do. And it makes me so angry because I think we all kind of hold this idea that we're going to gradually, you know, that all of our bumps and desires and wants and messiness are going to be somehow paved out and we'll enter into some graceful accepting phase where our aging bodies don't bother us. And the, you know, the reduction of professional opportunities, we take that all in and process it and that we have no kind of real reaction or anger or, or, or anything about that. So I realized I had that belief. And so that was what I really wanted to explore was kind of exploding that belief and thinking about someone really being in, in process and in a state of transition at an age where we have an assumption that you're supposed to have things figured out in some kind of way. I remember interviewing a bunch of women at my grandmother's age and in her nursing home about their bodies, because I just assumed at some point you would like, I would stop caring about my body and what it looked like. I assumed that would ha- it does not just happen. Like no. you don't go from being you and like whoever you are and have your own issues and neurotic or whatever else you are dealing with. And then all of a sudden one day you're like, Oh, just cause I'm this age, I give up. You're never going to stop caring. You're never no. going to, you don't change overnight. No. No, my mom was just telling me, my mom, who's a, who's a perfect weight, who looks wonderful, who's in her seventies, was just telling me that she's starting Weight Watchers again, because she's not exactly where she wants to be, you know, which I, for her, I think you're so healthy. You exercise five days a week. You're great. Why, why can't, you know, if you can't accept your body at this point, she should go hang out with my mom. I feel like they would have a great time. They (laughs) could like walk the golf course together. My mom is now she's doing intermittent fasting. You know, it's always something. Yes. Yes. That's so funny. Yes. I, yes. So I feel like, yes, it doesn't just leave you because it's, 
in a way it's muscle memory, especially for women who grew up at a certain time in their life. I think, I think it's worse for my mom, but it's certainly, certainly present for myself and you can't shake it in the way Mm -hmm. that you think you're going to be able to. Very true. (laughs) By the way, I also love that one of the novels, I I want you to go write this novel now because first of all, I love how you write. I said first of all 20 times. So I guess second of all, I love how you write. It's I just love it. It pulls the reader right in and you're you're really great. Would I have to find this fictitious novel where you have an artist? Let me see if I remember. It was an artist, a mother, and a career woman. Yeah told in three perspectives. And then you realize over the course of the novel that it's the same woman. I love that. Why did you like, tell me about Like write that book. Is that coming? Uh, that does sound like, actually, when I came up with that idea, I was like, that does sound like a great book. Right? Yeah, I will write it at some <laughs> point. That would be great. The kind of my own fan fiction universe. Yes. Of Vladimir. <laughs> Very meta. It's yes. Like perfect. It's like, yes. I, love <laughs> I also love this concept you have of, of, great mom energy or big mom energy. What did you call it? Something yes. Big which, mom energy. Big mom yeah. energy. Tell me about big mom energy and how do I get some of that? <laughs> well, I mean, I think of it as, as when I'm in a college experience and I'm teaching, for example, you know, there's so much about teaching college students where you feel like you're exactly the same as them. You know, it feels like you never really left college, you still feel, you so identify so strongly with where, where they're at in many ways. And in many ways, they seem like children. But I feel like sometimes you're kind of forced to put on this kind of maternal role to encourage them, or that's what's expected of you as a woman. You know, as a, as a man, you can be a stern, dismissive, cold, put them off, that feels like that's something that's allowed and expected of a kind of male professor. There reaches a point when you're a female professor where there's this anxiety about having to be nurturing or maternal or, you know, someone brings you in their their story and you have to say, oh my gosh, it's so amazing that you did this. You know, that kind of expectation for enthusiasm that's put upon women, I, I, I think, especially in those kind of mentorship roles. Very true. Yes. That's sort of mama bear energy. Yes. Yes. Quotient. And I find, you know, I was even examining it in myself and in, in how much I was, I have, you know, a mostly female team and there's so much anxiety that comes in publishing in a, a, a book. And I, I realized I was, I was trying to hold myself back, but I, I wanted my editor to mother me, you know, <laughs> Yeah. And, and then I had a certain point of reckoning where I said, you know, she, she doesn't need to mother you. I mean, that's not what you, if you had a male editor, you wouldn't be asking for this or expecting this in some way. It's just, again, it's like all these assumptions that we can kind of think are very conscious end up, you know, they exist for us subconsciously, I think in certain ways. So true. Now I'm going to analyze my relationship with my editor. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Take that to the therapy I'm not getting, but should. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I also think it's so interesting, this whole, like the, so her husband is now, has been accused of, not, he's been accused of these non-consensual relationships when really, as the narrator points out, they were completely consensual. The power of the man was exactly what attracted the women. Like, And now for them to come forward and say, well, it wasn't consensual or look what he's been doing, even the notion that it's some sort of that he's cheating on the wife in some negative way, whereas that also was condoned in their relationship. People are making all sorts of assumptions about right. this. And then after the fact, as is happening all the time in 
uh, particularly in school environments, punishing the perpetrator of said acts, which Mm -hmm. may or may not be consensual. And you even have like this group of women coming in and like trying to rally her to be like, you know, you shouldn't let your husband do this or whatever they said. But, you know, tell me about, tell me about that because that's not always, what you see is not what you get necessarily. Right, right, right. I mean, I think I was very interested in someone who was having to deal with the world shifting underneath her. Mm -hmm. So it felt like important that the relationships at the time that they were happening felt like they were okay, Mm -hmm. that everyone had agreed that they were okay. And that now with time and maybe greater consciousness or maybe, you know, a certain kind of being swept up in in certain ideas that are circulating, they become not okay. Mm -hmm. And I think I think it's really that was what I was interested in because I was I was interested in a character who is having the world shift underneath her. Mm-hmm. And that that in a way is what happens to all of us as we age, which is just the world changes and we can either decide to kind of get on the water slide or we can <laughs> find ourselves stuck and and feel like we're no longer a part of this world that exists. So that so that was an important, it was important to me that the relationships had been condoned and okay at the time that they were happening. I mean, and certainly as when I was in college, even though I'm, I'm younger than my protagonist, there were relationships between students and teachers. I did not have any of them, but they certainly seemed like at the time, like, yes, them being a professor was part of their cachet. Mm-hmm to the women who were engaging with them. And they felt like they wanted to have this kind of teacher-student romantic relationship. Now, whether those ideas are positive and healthy, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I think the narrator is in process about that, about whether the power, whether power, even if it's, you know, quote unquote, legally condoned Mm -hmm. is is still okay. You know, if that's still, if that's still something that's, that's, you know, not something that she should reevaluate. But I think the other and bigger, most important part is that she didn't have these relationships and she's experiencing the fallout for it. Yes. And I think that's what really also sets her off is that she spent her life, especially a woman that I think of her age, has spent more of her life, you know, trying to separate her career from her existence as a wife and a family person, because that was what women of that age had to do. You know, I, I have a mentor who talks about how she would never speak about her kids in any professional circumstance ever, because mm-hmm. then she would be labeled as a parent and, and there would be kind of, she would seem diminished in front of people's eyes. So I'm very, I feel very glad that I have kids and I talk about them all the time, all the time in professional circumstances and think of that as a form of activism, you know, because <laughs> they exist. Um, but so I, but I think especially for, for that woman who has spent her whole life kind of trying to say, you know, my domestic life is not who I am, then it's being really brought up in her face and she's experiencing consequences for something she didn't do by nature of her, her personal and domestic choices. And I think that's, you know, what really gets her. So interesting. 
Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, grownups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery. Perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Wait, how old are your kids, by the way? I have an eight-year-old and I have a one-year-old. Oh, <laughs> big spread. Oh my gosh. Um, I had a big spread. I had a six-year gap between my older, my twins and my younger kids. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So I actually feel like, I don't know if you feel this way, that I feel grateful. Like I was so much calmer with the little guys. Yeah. You know, like just that big deep breath of six years, like yeah. aging mixed with experience. I'm like, okay, this is, this is much easier. Yes. Yes. I feel like I'm at the point where I feel like it makes vacation strange, but mm-hmm. we're figuring, but other than that, I'm so grateful to have someone who I can really speak to and have, you know, that they both provide in a way a relief from each other. Yes. Very true. I know. I like that too. I'm like, you're having a tantrum. Okay. I'm going to this room. See yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Still doing my job, just switching right. gears here. <laughs> You're an emotional breakdown. I'm yeah. going to go to somebody who just is happy to see me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you right. paint me a really pretty picture of a you know rose or something. I'm going to sit next to you, not not next to the terror. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, uh, although not really <laughs> kidding. So, how did you tell me about your writing career and your life? Like, where are you from? How did you get started in this? How did you end up writing this book? So my main career has been as a as a playwright and a theater maker. 
Mm-hmm. I grew up, I was born in Texas. I grew up in New Jersey. I went to undergraduate for acting actually at NYU. And then I think, you know, three months into it, I said, I said, oh gosh, wow. I really don't want to be an actor. That seems <laughs> like a very hard life. <laughs> and, and also, you know, I really want to be, I don't want to be an employee. I want to mm-hmm. be a boss. So I, I quickly kind of switched over to making pieces and making work. And then I spent a long time in, in New York making a very experimental theater work where I was collaging text and choreographing all in very off, off, off Broadway theaters. And then I eventually went and, and got my MFA in playwriting and then after that was more working inside of a, a kind of the playwriting world. I started teaching playwriting. And then I had a, a big project that was set to take place during the pandemic at a theater, which was this kind of five play cycle. And it was supposed to be in fall of 2020. So, you know, when March happened, we were right in the throes of planning. We had raised, you know, the the a huge budget that And I just kept getting phone call after phone call about postponement, postponement, postponement. And, you know, now some version of it is going to take place in in spring of 2023. But in any case, I needed to write. You know, I'm I I, part of the reason why I had a five play cycle is because I love putting in the hours of writing every day or at least an hour. It feels like my moment of sanity Mm -hmm. and my moment where I can really touch something that is bigger than my existence, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. So in the pandemic, that felt especially important, but I couldn't write a play because theater didn't exist mm-hmm. and it just felt too dispiriting. And I had this character who I, who had existed in another play and I thought about her and I started writing in her voice and I wrote that first chapter of Vladimir and I thought, oh, okay, yes, this is this, I know this can be a book. I can, I think I can keep going with this. And I had written prose before, but I had always either not clicked into the voice or gotten dissatisfied after a certain point or moved on to work on a play because plays are very immediate and community oriented. Mm-hmm. So someone would say, Hey, we're, let's do a workshop. And I'd be like, okay, great. Let me throw my <laughs> novel away and I'll, I'll come move over and do this thing that happens with people where we can talk. Huh. So that was my, uh, that was essentially my practice. And I was lucky because my husband, Adam Sternberg, he is a, a crime writer and I've watched him write novels. And so that that witnessing was really important to me because I could see what it took. You know, I saw that basically for a period of six to eight months, he every, you know, the majority of days of week, he sat down and he wrote something kind of without hope or fear. So yeah, so that was the, that was the process. And, and, you know, and after that, it became, I just, I, I felt like I had, I had really fallen into the voice and the way of writing. I figured out a lot of things about myself as a, as a prose writer. And that's, where it, where it went. Did you and your husband ever get competitive with like how many pages you did in a day or have anything like that? No, no. I mean, I could say, you know, it's really where, where he becomes, you know, he's just amazing in that he's, I've only felt at support about it. And in terms of, yeah, in terms of writing, he wasn't, he was editing a book, I think at the time, rather than working on a book, we were at different kind of writing phases. So yeah. (laughs) Great to have an at-home sort of tutor, if you will. Yeah. Not that you needed it, but... Um. Yeah. So now are you hooked on the novel as a form? Yes, yes. I mean, I really felt like I found something. And and in a way, it was... I, I felt like it was taking what 
really, I, I enjoyed the most about my playwriting and then also kind of removing, at least at the time, what I enjoyed the least, which was, it just feels, it's a direct transmission to a reader. So that feels so, that felt so empowering and, you know, yes. And I really loved writing it and, and have been writing, working on a, a second book and, and that feels so fun. It's all I want to do, even though I have an eight-year-old and a one-year-old, I can't do it all the time. <laughs> What's your new book about? My new book is, I'm very superstitious about saying what it's about, but it's kind of a diff- very different approach. I wanted to challenge myself. So it's, it's got a very big sprawl as got opposed it. to this being a very tight little story. Okay. Yeah. I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and in your spare time, when you're not writing plays or novels and dealing with your kids, what do you like to read? I am a pretty voracious reader. So, I mean, I love to go back and read old things. Recently, I've been loving to go back and read old things that I remember from high school, like really loving. So I just finished Somerset Moms of Human Bondage because I remember just being kind of slayed by that story when I was in college. I recently reread Portrait of a Lady, the Henry James book, because I had um, also, I've been just trying to think about these, but like, what were the books that really kind of shaped me at that certain point in my life? So I've been reading that kind of old 19th century, early 20th century literature. I love Shirley Hazard, mm-hmm. writers like that. And then, you know, recently I've been, recently I read my friend Chloe Cooper Jones's mm-hmm. memoir, which I think is just, I'm gonna read I thought her. was just so spectacular. Yeah. She's, I can't wait she's, to read it. It's here somewhere. I'm, I'm yeah, reading it she, soon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She's so wonderful. It's so brilliant. And I loved it so much. How important is this whole, like, is the whole writer community to you? Well, it's interesting because I don't know a lot of writers, you know, like I, I, I am actually now whenever somebody kind of uh, writes to me, I, I, I try and say, do you want to get a coffee? Do you want to meet up? You know, do you want to do anything? Because I know mostly theater people and it's weird. It's strange to me how the worlds don't really intersect that much. You would think that they had more of an overlap, but they, they really don't. So I, I don't have a huge amount of writers who I know personally, and, and I'm interested in kind of, you know, making that happen more for myself where, now. Where do you live? Where are you based? I mean, I live in Brooklyn, which is, oh, uh, okay. yeah, writer central. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, yeah. next time I have an event here, I invite usually all the writers who have been on the podcast. Oh, um, yeah. So I'll, I'll loop you in to, you know, I feel like I was really lucky when I started this whole podcast, there was this group of writers and they all used to work at like the society library in 79th street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed one of them and then they introduced me like the whole group. Yeah. And now like, they're so amazing. You know, they're still like this really tight group so much that I'm like, Oh, and here you all are like at lunch, but yeah. <laughs> like I'm not really in this group. Am I? Anyway, yeah. But you know, they were, I feel like once you get into somebody's group, then they, you get to know the whole, there are these pre-existing pockets, but not that many. I mean, there's so many, because look, so many books are coming out all the time. It's crazy. Yeah. There are so many books, but there's also a big market for books and, you know, people have books as I, I, my, my metaphor for people, when they ask about how slow a theater career is, I say, think about every theater in New York and imagine if they were a bookstore, they would have five books in them at maximum, most of them would have one. And it wouldn't be that many bookstores. It's like that that world is so, so small. Whereas whereas people read books all the time for all sorts of reasons. <laughs> I think it's True. kind of such a it's it's and that's I found that encouraging what a big market is. It's and, true. 
Yes. Although there's so many books too. I was yeah. I was with some of my college girlfriends and they were all reading like you, like older books, like old you know, 19th century, not all of them, but but like three of the five. And then I'm thinking to myself, this is terrible. <laughs> you're, like, right. you're not right. buying new books. You know, right. you're, you're bringing out old, you're bringing your old books back out. So there is yeah. a big audience, but they're not always all reading everything as soon as it hits the shelves, the way people in the industry might think that people are reading. They're not reading like that necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I found it kind of stunning that people picked up my book at, you know, when it first came out. I mean, I, I had, I read a lot of contemporary fiction, you know, Mm -hmm. but I would, I'd never think to pick up the first, you know, the first time I see a book on a just release shelf, that would not be my impulse is to pick that book up. I mean, now I'm, I'm much more conscious of that. And I, and I do try and, and support new, new writers, especially if I feel like what they're making seems interesting and, and I can, I can get something early because I understand it now, but I didn't understand the economics of that before. I don't think most people understand that it really yeah. matters. It really matters to an author that first week or two weeks or pub day or whatever. Yeah. I think there's some sort of misalignment in the public and the, the people producing it, the people consuming it. Yeah. You don't yeah. Even know, like, I don't even think the lay person knows how, the importance of why you encourage indies for, you know, like why yeah. there are so many layers of, anyway, I wonder if education is the answer or if it's better just to suspend it the way it is, suspend the disbelief of the market efficiency or I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, the nice thing about books is that they really do keep and yes. if someone says to me, I haven't read your book, it's it's not going anywhere. At yeah. least, you know, for a few years, you'll be able to find it, hopefully. Yeah. Well, it's like the movie model too. I mean, you're talking about theater, but movies, yeah. right, that used to come out, right? And you had that, you you knew it was a finite period of time, but right. you have to go to the theater and then you can get it in some other way. But with books, yeah. like you always know they're not going anywhere. There's no, right. what's the rush? Right. So exactly. it's a blessing and a curse in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially when there's so many other also forms of media that are constantly popping up. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. But the nice thing is, again, you can have it on your shelf and and when it feels to be the right time, you can pick it up and it can really shift you. Yeah. The right book at the right time is exactly amazing. Yeah. And your story is, is really timeless. You know what I mean? Like in particular, like I, and I, you know, again, as I said in the start, just how amazing it is to have an older narrator, right? Just because, you know, I've always been somebody who reads a little ahead, like to see what's coming in life, you know, yeah. like what's yeah. coming next, you know, and I'm, yeah. we're relatively the same age. I don't know how old you are, yeah. but, but we're not 58. And so yeah. uh, having this preview, even though it's fictitious, I feel yeah. like is a helpful guidepost in the craziness of life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like to write out of a, a, a feeling of fantasy or fear often. I feel like that's a useful place to to think about, you know, whether you're, if you're writing tragedy, then it's maybe out of fear or a mixture of both. I remember interviewing Chris Bajelian and he said he always tries to write to the feeling of dread. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which I love. Yes. Yes. That really, that resonates. I remember, I think it was maybe Ann Patchett who said something like she, she writes so that the thing that she's writing won't happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's right. like, I used to do that all the time with my worrying. I still do it. I'm like, if I worry about this enough, then, you know, I'm taking it off the table. Right. Right. I think that's the nature of anxiety. The idea that worry is going to be the thing that solves it. 
Well, I'm still clinging to that. <laughs> my, brain, my, my brain clings to that, uh, right. to that well-entrenched habit, even though yeah. life has not played out that way. But um, um, yeah. okay, last question. What's your advice for aspiring authors? I would say, you know, to, to write without thinking, I would say not to let your emotions get in the way of your writing, especially when it comes to your initial idea. So if you have an initial idea that makes you excited, then don't pay so much attention as you go along about whether you are starting to think, oh, this idea is actually really bad, or this will never sell, or this won't do anything. To to recognize all those thoughts as like little lawyers in your head who are going to talk you out of doing something and just keep going without hope or fear, because really the you know, the thing that is going to, to make you an artist is to finish something. So, so work towards finishing something and don't pay too much attention to how you're feeling about it at the time, Mm. because you're never going to feel completely good about something as you write it. And your feelings are are kind of liars based on (laughs) your brain chemistry and what you ate last night. You know, I love that. So true. (laughs) Yep. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on Mom's No Time to read books to discuss Vladimir, Julia Mae Jonas. Congratulations. You're a really fabulous writer. I can't wait to read what you have next. Really, really talented. It's awesome to read such great writing. So thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. Good. Okay. Have a great day. All right. You (laughs) too. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.